0: starting a brand new collection of talks today called Have. Wow, you guys are uh, amazing at that. Um, if you, Who's got a paper Bible? I have two Bibles up here, apparently. If anyone's got a paper Bible here, uh, you can open that up. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, you can use the YouVersion Bible app, hit the More button in the bottom right-hand corner, hit Events. Someone's going to have to turn off that fog machine, and uh, we can jump into this thing. Let's get right into the Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, be sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Be sure that no one misses out on God's grace. That's the NIRV is what I'm reading. This is the NIV behind me. Uh, The when I, when I read this passage, this NIV says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. I feel this like pressure that starts rising because the Apostle Paul is talking to believers, Christians, and he says, make sure that nobody misses out on God's grace. And I'm like, that's, that sounds absolutely incredible. I would love to be a part of that, but the problem is I'm not so sure that I actually know what God's grace actually is. It seems like this thing that's hard to define, it's messy, it's sloppy, it's, it's not hard to understand, it's, kind of this vague concept. Uh, I was driving around a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago with my son, Everett. He's five years old. And uh, he, he introduced a new phrase into his vocabulary. He just kept saying to me over and over and over, dad, that's so boring. And I was like, what? Okay. And like, we're doing his favorite things. I'm like, hey, bud, you want to go out like ride quads? Dad, that's so boring. Okay, do you want a hot chocolate? That's so boring. <laughs> Marshmallows on top? Does that spice it up? Like... <laughs> and it just didn't make sense why he kept saying this, because as he kept saying it, he kept saying it in like the strangest of places with no, like, seemed to be like no understanding. So finally, Desiree asked, like, Ever, do you know what that means? He's like, boring. <laughs> like, well, what does boring mean? That was it. He understood, he understood the emotion. Where did you hear this? School or something? Uh, probably kid two, if we're being honest. So parents limit that screen time. He had no idea. He just kept using the phrase. He understood like the emotional response, but had no idea how to use the word or the language in context. He just kept saying this phrase. It's so boring. And if we're being honest, I think that's our experience with the word grace. See, banks give us a grace period. Politicians fall from grace. Music has grace notes. An actress, she's accepting an award tonight at the Oscars, is gracious. We use these words for hospitals, Seattle grace, anybody? We use it for our kings, your grace. And isn't that that one thing that we say right before supper? Uh, at church we we talk as if we understand the term we sing it we teach it we preach it but do we understand it so today and over the next number of weeks we're going to look at a very simple question what's so amazing about grace what's so amazing about grace yeah in the words of uncle jesse have mercy. (laughs) Uh, This is what the the Bible says in Ezekiel. I can't do this. Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's try this. I'm going to regret this later. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. What this is, is the mechanics of grace. This is what happens when grace happens to you. I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking. This is Jesus speaking. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I was in Brandy and Jeremy's wedding party when I was like uh, 18, maybe, 17, maybe. They're not old at all, and I'm not old either. We're all young and, um, and cool. And... Uh, But back then, I used to have a nickname, and they actually introduced me. I don't know if you remember this. They actually introduced me this way at their wedding reception, and my nickname was Heart of Stone. (laughs) Because I was a jerk. I had no empathy. You know, you're 17, 18 years old. You know everything. You're amazing at everything. Clearly, your life is amazing. You've got it all figured out, and everyone else is a fool and a loser, and they got to pull themselves together heart of stone. This is what happens when grace happens. We get a heart transplant. When grace happens, you receive a new heart. When you give your heart to Jesus, he returns the favor, and he gives you his heart. It's a heart transplant. This is what happens when grace happens. Galatians two twenty. it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not it's not just a philosophy or an idea. Jesus Christ literally moves in. When grace happens, Christ enters. When grace happens, Christ enters. And this is the secret. If you're looking for the secret, here it is. It's been in the Bible this whole time. He just forgot to read it. This is the secret, Colossians 1.27. Christ lives in you. This is the secret. You know, there's a whole book. I should have wrote this book a long time ago. Empty pages, one phrase. This is the secret. One word per page. Christ lives in in you. This is what happens when grace happens. When grace happens, we meet Jesus. When we meet Jesus, he gives us a heart transplant and he changes us from the inside out. Did you know that there's no other philosophy or religion in the world that features the founder living and active and alive, living inside of the followers? That's what we believe in Christianity. It's like alien. You know, like the head comes out. That's literally what it's like on the inside. Jesus Christ is up in here by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, changing me from the inside out, popping out at the craziest times, except when he pops out, he doesn't kill people. He loves them back to life. This is what happens when grace happens. Grace is messy and hard to define, but I think Max Lucado does a great job. God's grace has a drenching about it. A wildness about it. A white water, rip tide, turn you upside downness about it. Grace comes after you, it rewires you from insecure to God secure. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. Good. Dang. Jesus says, people, Jesus yeah, have mercy have mercy but when we're trying to pin grace down we like to define it because as human beings we like to put things in a box we like to give it just a little category we like to give it a little place that it can live so we go so grace is forgiveness well yes no so grace is kindness yes not only so it's 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 mercy that's why we say, have mercy. No, I just like Uncle Jesse, and it just made sense. So what is it if we're trying to pin it down, the definition of grace? The Greek word is charis. Turn to somebody and say charis. But it's C-H-R-I-S, like charisma, but it's charis. And it means grace, kindness, and favor. More accurately, it means unmerited favor, favor that you don't earn, favor that you don't deserve, favor that's just given to you because Jesus gives it to you because Jesus is good and the goodness of God chases you and me down, especially when we're running. You see, grace is the thing that we've been craving the whole time but we've been running from Jesus the entire time trying to find it we just didn't realize that he's been chasing after us and the very thing that we've been looking for and chasing after is the thing that is chasing us and so grace is that moment when we finally turn around and say Jesus here I am take my life I surrender and we find this thing that we've been looking for our entire life the unmerited favor of God the goodness of God which chases me down and loves me enough to not leave me as I am which transforms every part of who I am the grace of God is overwhelming and it's amazing and it's mind-boggling because I hate to give it (laughs) I hate it when I have to give it but this is what Romans 8 says in the message and there's gonna be a whole bunch I'm just gonna take out from the middle Keith maybe we could just Do this for the next service, just take out the passage This was easier to read. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. Skip a little bit. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Like I said earlier, nobody else makes this claim. Muhammad doesn't come live in your heart. Buddha doesn't come and live in your heart. A guru does not come live in your heart and transform you from the inside out. Only Jesus Christ, our, light, our living king, All, rest, the rest of the gurus and, and the revelators are dead. Jesus Christ was dead for a momentary brief minute while the devil thought he won and had a party. And for three days, Jesus just walked in, took the keys and said, you should really leave the security at the front of the gates when you're having a party thinking that I'm dead. Because Jesus overcame the power of sin, death, in the grave. And when you overcome the power of sin, death, in the grave, you can begin to overcome the things of this world. That's how you and I overcome. You see, the, the dream of Jesus isn't to get you into heaven. His dream is to get heaven into you. That's his dream. His dream is not to get you into heaven. It's to get heaven into you. If he could get heaven into you, then he rest assured, you're going to make it at the end. You're going to enjoy this new heavens and a new earth. But he wants to get heaven into you. Grace is hard to understand because our entire existence is based on transactions. Everything in this world is based on a transaction. It's why you carry a debit card at all times or Apple Pay or whatever, visa, whatever you choose to live be, uh, use. Because when you walk into a store, and you walk into a grocery store, and you're like, you know what, the unmerited favor of God rests upon me, you know, and he freely gave it to me, I'm going to freely receive these bananas. You end up in jail. That's just like, or a fine at that point. Uh, and then you could do your community service here at the church, and we'll make, work it all out. But it doesn't work that way. Our entire life is based up in a transactional environment. You go to work, not like you might like your work, you might even love your work, but the truth is you don't go if they stop paying. Right? I mean, you can, I mean except for me, I'll just be here all the time. <laughs> I was here before there's money, I'll be here after there's money, okay? Like, listen, <laughs> that's just the reality. But the honest truth is we live a transactional life. Everything is like, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Even when you help somebody else move, in the back of your head, you're like, I am calling that person when I move. It's Johnny's entire strategy. He helps everybody. And then when Johnny moves his house, there's 75 people there. And you're like, wow, Johnny's got a lot of friends. No, Johnny made, gave a lot of favors. <laughs> but that's our entire life. And so our life is framed around this idea of a transaction. And it makes it hard for us to understand the grace of God because the grace of God is 100% free. In fact, it, the baseline is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ain't nobody's worth it. Ain't nobody deserves it. You're like, oh, but there's a remnant of the goodness of God because we're made in his image. Absolutely. But the moment that sin entered this earth, everything changed and began to corrupt every part of us from our, the way we think to the way that our world lives and exists to even our environment. It all begins to degrade. Because sin had a way greater effect on this earth than we would ever give it credit for. And so we have a hard time understanding grace because we think like we're like Boy Scouts and we can get merit. Like we've got a worship team merit and an usher merit and a coffee cart badge. And if I go to enough small groups, then Jesus is going to love me. No, we go to small groups because we love Jesus and we want more of him, not because he's going to love us anymore because of it. Our life, though, we're like, man, it's just a whole transaction. I need to do things for him so he will love me more. Jesus tried to shatter this idea himself in Matthew chapter 20 because we have so many hard copy Bibles in the room. Meet me over in Matthew chapter 20. I'll let the words of Jesus do the preaching. If you can't read around me, you should have brought a hard copy. Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon again, and at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock in the afternoon... He was in the town again and saw some more people standing around, and he asked them, why haven't you been, like, why aren't you guys working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman, which was like minutes later, by the way. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend. I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go, I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? No. Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then and those who are first will be last. Jesus tried to destroy in one simple parable the whole paradox of a transactional nature of God's grace. Where, well, I live my whole life. I grew up in church. I know all the Bible. And that person just comes in right now at the end of their life and they say a prayer. Why do they get to come to heaven with me? They get to come to heaven with you because you don't get to go to heaven with you unless there's Jesus and Jesus decides. And you agreed that if you would give your life to him and he would transform you from the inside out. That everything would be different. And he made the same deal with every single person from the beginning to the end. What do you feel like you're missing out on? Do you feel like you would have walked away and lived your life a little bit different knowing something differently? If that's the case, then I would suggest that maybe the roots of God's grace are not going down quite deep enough because what you're suggesting to me is you would have lived it up a little bit more had you had the opportunity, meaning you're not so thankful about this incredible gift of God's grace because you think you can just earn it and you're earning browning points by right now by being good, but it's not about being good or bad. That's the messy nature of Jesus Christ. The truth is Adolf Hitler himself could say a prayer at the last moment. We could be dining with him in heaven. Psalm 23 says, I will set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. That could mean in real life right here, right now. It could mean in heaven. But that's the wonderful, marvelous, incredible grace of God. Jesus Christ just doesn't save the people that you like. And so we are called to be ambassadors of the love, the mercy, grace, the kindness, the goodness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is our job and our mission to demonstrate the love of Jesus, especially if we don't like him. I'm going to love you until you become a better person. That's (laughs) because Jesus Christ is inside of you. This is what Andy Stanley has to say about grace. Grace. It's what I crave most when my guilt is exposed, the very thing I'm hesitant to extend when I'm confronted with the guilt of others, especially when their guilt has robbed me of something I consider valuable. Here's the money shot. When we are on the receiving end, grace is refreshing. When it is required of us, it is often Disturbing. But when correctly applied, it seems to solve just about everything. (coughs) That's the grace of God. You're like, I still don't understand it. I know. That's why we've got weeks and weeks and weeks. (laughs) Because it's big. It's huge. But it's everything. It's the unmerited favor of God. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it we sang it earlier but still he gave himself away. This is Romans 5:20 in the amplified. If you're ready say I'm ready. I'll we'll just expand this a little bit in before the band comes up in 3 minutes. But then law came in only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and exciting opposition. But where sin increased and abounded, God uh sorry what that's not right. But where sin increased and abounded grace, God's unmerited favor has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. You're like, what's superabounded? It's the <laughs> it's the abundance, but more than abundance, it's the extravagance of God. It's the over and above. It's the way more than enough that the people translating this version of the Bible could not come up with any other word other than superabounded, which I feel like could be a t-shirt that we should release in the future. How's God's grace in your life? It's super abounding, man. Super abounding. It's amazing. But this is what this is actually saying. We think that, that the law, which happens in the Old Testament and the New Testament, see, when we think of God's grace, we think New Testament, God's grace, Old Testament, God's judgment. But that's just not true, and we're going to learn why that's not true. Because the grace of God is woven through every page of the Bible. We just can't take our 21st century lens off to see it. What this is saying is, the moment that the law came, what it did in human beings is it began to expose our sinful nature and our desire and the sin that was at work in our lives. Because before then, we had no way to define it. But what this also says is the moment that the, sin sh- that the law showed up and the sin became evident, and the moment somebody came to accuse and prosecute, the sa- Satan, the devil is this picture of a prosecutor. The moment that that came, the moment that it came to trial, it says that God's grace abounded all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Because the moment the sin is exposed, Jesus says, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, right after we got married. Des and I went on our honeymoon, and we came back, and we did something unprecedented. We went to Ikea. And I said, for one time in your life, Desiree Michelle Esslinger, for one time in your life, put anything you want in the cart. I said, and if you even think like we might need it, throw it in. If you're like, ah, I might throw it in. Just throw it in. So she went on a shopping spree. Because, you know, we after our wedding, we walked around this big manila envelope full of cash. And the only thing that mattered to me was that there was enough for a nice TV and a PlayStation at the end, like that was it. So I'm like, you know, we got some budget to work with here, and if I give you what you want, I'm gonna get what I want. And she just went and she's like, ah, I'm like, throw it in, throw it in, throw it. She was like, not even like wanting it. I was just taking stuff. I'm just like, I'm taking it where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I'll take that. I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna take that. That don't look good. I'm gonna take that. That looks terrible. I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna put this in. If you would come to Jesus, because all of us can come to Jesus. What Ephesians two said: God saved you by his grace when you believed. But don't I have to do something? Yeah. Believe. No, but they're, like, there's got to be like an initiation. There's got to be like something for Jesus to come into my heart. Believe. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. So say it out loud and believe it in your heart. That's it. Yeah. That's the craziness about the unmerited, unearned grace of God is that to access it, we just got to believe. I'm going to drop this thought for the next couple of weeks for you. But the problem with the grace of God in church is that if you're new... We'll give you all the grace in the world. The church is the only organization, and not this church, I believe, But just speaking in general, it's the only organization that we believe in the unmerited, unearned, overwhelming, extravagant grace of God until you start coming here. And then we start adding rules, and we start adding regulations, and we start adding all these things that you must do to be a good Christian. But the truth is, Jesus says, if you need to follow me, you just believe with me. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's why grace is messy. That's why it's sloppy, because we pretend we've got it all together. But in reality, we're just giving Jesus some room to work in our lives and that's the grace of God is that no matter the mess, no matter the must no matter the fuss, Jesus Christ rolls up his sleeves and he says I got this and I got you God saved you by his grace when you believed you can't take the credit for this it is a gift from God salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so no one can boast about it Can I just read one more portion of Scripture? Is that okay? I know these guys desperately want to sing you a song. And I want to hear that song. Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So when Jesus died on the cross, you might have seen in the pictures, there's three crosses. There's two criminals on either side. Rightly accused. Jesus wrongly accused the innocent one. There was a sign above him that said, King of the Jews. So for, verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and save us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God? <laughs> Even when you have been sentenced to die? I mean, let's just think about this. When you're sentenced to die, you didn't do good things in your life, okay? And now you're confronted with God. And this other guy's like, bro, pull it together. You're sentenced to die, don't you think? Do you really think you're worth saving? (laughs) We deserve to die for our crimes, verse 41. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise At the very last minute the one who deserved to die turns to Jesus and says I need you I need you I need you right now I need you now more than ever remember me Jesus you see if it's if grace was just mercy it was mercy that forgave the thief on the cross but can I tell you it was grace that escorted him into paradise.